Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson. Papa, can you tell me a story? Do you really want me to tell you a story? (laughs) Well, you go get your brother and your sisters and I will tell you a story. Welcome to Devotions with Dr. Papa. Grab your Bible, gather around, and let's look into the written Word, which reveals to us the living Word, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. As you recall, we've been looking into the upside-down house for the last several weeks, and we've been talking about the values and principles of the kingdom of this uh, of the kingdom of God, which are the opposite of the kingdom of this world. We've been talking about how your life and your house should be, in fact, opposite or upside down compared to the household or the life of your next door neighbor who may be lost, who may not be a believer, whose life is not operating by the values and principles of the kingdom of God, but are in fact operating by the values of the kingdom of this world. There should be a distinction between believers and unbelievers, between those who are saved and those who are lost, because the values and principles of their lives are so antithetical, so diametrically opposed to one another. Well, today I want us to look at another aspect of the kingdom of God, and I'm going to look at some of the parables that Jesus presented to his disciples as he taught them about the kingdom of God. And so the questions I want to answer today are, how does the kingdom of God grow? How does it spread? How is it valued? And how does it end? And Jesus answered all of those in his parables. Now, before we even begin, I want us to go all the way back to the Old Testament. And I want us to go to the book of Daniel. And if you remember... In the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had a dream. And in his dream, uh, the king uh, had a dream that he could not interpret. So he, he called in all the wise men and he called in all the different folks from different places. And, and nobody could interpret his dream. And so in his frustration, he was, he was going to have all of them killed. And then Daniel... Uh, asked him to hold off a little bit and let him pray about things. And he and his three friends got together and prayed, and God gave him an answer to the vision or the dream that the king had had. And if you recall, in the dream, the king saw a giant statue with a head of, of gold and a chest of silver and the torso of bronze, and the, and the feet and legs were of, of iron and the toes were of, of iron and clay mixed together. And Daniel gave him the interpretation. But, but remember, while the statue was standing, a big stone was cut out of the mountain without human hands. And that stone came and struck the statue on its feet, and the whole statue was crushed. And the Bible says that that stone became a great mountain, and that that mountain filled the whole earth. Uh, Now, what was that stone? Well, you've already guessed it. That stone represents the spiritual, divine kingdom of God 
that was made without human hands. And the kingdom of God that overcomes the kingdoms of this world. For you see, that statue represents various kingdoms of this world that all eventually met their demise. But what lasted forever? Well, it was the kingdom of God that became a great mountain and filled the earth. Now, listen to Daniel uh, in chapter 2 and verse 44 when he explains to the king. He says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Well, that's the spiritual kingdom of God being presented to us through the prophet Daniel through Nebuchadnezzar's dream or vision all the way back in the Old Testament. Now get this, after Nebuchadnezzar had his, um, uh, let's, let me make sure I tell you this correctly now, he, uh, he, he ordered the, the, the building of a giant golden image of himself. You remember that. And he ordered everybody to bow and worship. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to worship it, and they ended up being thrown into the fiery furnace. Well, then when the, the fire didn't burn them up and, and Jesus was in the fire with them, afterwards, Nebuchadnezzar confesses and acknowledges God. In chapter 4 of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar the king made a proclamation to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth— May your peace abound. And he says this, It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. Now listen to what he says. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion is from generation to generation. So you see, here is a pagan king who already understands what so many throughout the generations have not understood, that God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures forever. But you see, God's kingdom is not a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. Now, don't misunderstand me. There will be a day when Jesus will reign for a thousand years on planet Earth, and He, he will rule with an iron rod. And he will be on the throne of David on this planet. So there will be a physical thousand-year millennial reign, a physical kingdom. But for the present moment, it's a spiritual kingdom that exists in the heart of men. So now let's talk about what Jesus said about this kingdom. He describes it in Matthew 13 in several parables all back-to-back, teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. And the first thing he says is he describes it as a mustard seed. He presented another parable to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So first of all, we have to see here that it grows it starts small, and then it grows 
bigger and bigger. And it becomes larger than all the other kingdoms. And it becomes that everlasting kingdoms. Now, you understand that since Jesus inaugurated the church, which is the physical manifestation of the spiritual kingdom of God on this planet, that there have been many physical kingdoms and empires that have come and gone in the last 2,000 years. But the church of the living God endures. Those kingdoms, those physical kingdoms, have tried to stamp out the church of God, the spiritual kingdom of God, but have failed miserably. And those kingdoms have disappeared. They are not an everlasting kingdom like Jesus's spiritual kingdom. And more than that, as this mustard seed grows into a great tree, it provides protection for many. And all find safety in its branches. All who choose to be involved in the spiritual kingdom of God will find safety in its branches. And it will provide protection for a multitude of people. And the second question that he answers is, how does it spread? How does the kingdom of God spread? Well, listen to what Jesus said. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. (laughs) Well, now, how many of you watched your mother or grandmother take a little bit of, of dough that was unleavened and she put yeast into it and after a period of time the whole lump of dough was leavened it was influenced by that little bit of yeast that she put into it now if you watched it could you see the yeast spreading throughout the lump of dough of course not could you hear it no you couldn't hear it you couldn't see it But after a period of time, the whole lump of dough was influenced by that little bit of yeast, that little bit of leaven that was put into the lump of dough. So the principle here is that the kingdom of God spreads quietly. It it spreads unobserved, yet it affects everything it touches. It spreads unobtrusively, yet it, it influences all. More than that, it's unstoppable. Once the kingdom of God is started in a culture or in a country or in an ethnic group, it is unstoppable. Just like if you put leaven in a lump of dough, there's nothing you can do to stop that yeast, that leaven, from eventually leavening the entire lump of dough. Once the kingdom of God The gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ is introduced into a culture or a country. It's unstoppable. Now, I want you to understand that I've been to many foreign countries where the gospel is vehemently opposed. I've been to India, India, I've been to the Middle East. And when people become a Christian there, they often are kicked out of their families. They lose their jobs. They lose their position. It's a major life decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And the gospel and the spiritual kingdom of God is violently opposed 
But I want you to understand that in those places where the persecution is the greatest is where the church of the living God is spreading the fastest. But it, but they're not having big outdoor revivals or crusades. Why? Because it's illegal. And yet the church is spreading quietly, unobserved, unobtrusively, and it's unstoppable. The gospel message and the spiritual kingdom of God is permeating and penetrating those pagan cultures, and it's making that which is bland palatable. It is making that which is pagan spiritual. It is an amazing process to watch and to even be a part of. Now, I also want you to understand that the kingdom of God always spreads from the bottom up and from the inside out, as opposed to the kingdom of this world, which spreads from the top down and the outside in. Let me explain what I mean by that. The kingdom of God spreads from the bottom up. That means from the least to the greatest. That's why Paul told the Corinthian church that when, when, he, when they should consider their faith, he said, there were not many of you who were noble or wise or wealthy. In fact, the intelligentsia, the wealthy, the noblemen, they typically, not exclusively, but typically rejected the gospel message. That was true then and that's true now. It's the common folk who are the most likely to accept the gospel message. The kingdom of God grows from the bottom up and from the inside out, which means it's from our hearts. The kingdom of God starts in our heart, and it's due to the love in our hearts for what Jesus has done for us, the gratitude in our hearts for the salvation that He offers to us that we voluntarily choose to be a member of the spiritual kingdom of God. Now contrast that with the kingdom of this world which is a top-down, outside-in proposition, which means that it's the intelligentsia, the government officials, the academics, those who are wealthy, the noblemen, who choose to be part of the kingdom of this world. And it's enforced by decree, by government decree, by judicial or legislative decree. And it's an outside-in proposition, meaning that it's forced on people by compulsion, by force. And it's an involuntary decision. Many people are forced into the kingdom of this world involuntarily. In other words, it's pushed on them by executive decree. And more often than not, there is duplicity involved. Whereas in the kingdom of God, it spreads by evangelism as opposed to executive decree. And our evangelism involves speaking the truth because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. So you have a contrast. And I tell people all the time that evangelism is our only strategy and truth is our only weapon. Whereas the the kingdom of this world, executive decree 
is their strategy and duplicity is their weapon. <laughs> you see the contrast. Now, let's move on. How is it valued? Well, Jesus told them in another parable how the kingdom of God was valued. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid it again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And then again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. So you see, the kingdom of God is of immense value. It's more valuable than anything else. And it's worth giving up everything in exchange for participation or membership in the kingdom of God. And that means people are willing to give up their wealth, their position, their prestige, even their family connections in order to be a part of the kingdom of God. Some folks have even given up their life, their physical life, in order to gain spiritual life in the spiritual kingdom of God. That's why when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus and said to him, you must be born again, that was a double entendre. It had a double meaning because he was telling Nicodemus that he had to be spiritually born again, but he was also telling him he would have to have a new start in life because you see, Nicodemus understood clearly that if he accepted this offer of a spiritual birth, that he would have to give up his position as a Pharisee, the wealth that he had accrued as a Pharisee, the social connections that he had garnered as a Pharisee, and perhaps even his family connections. All of that would go down the drain, just like Paul, who gave up all of those things. When he was Saul the Pharisee, he had to count all of that as rubbish, in order that he could gain the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, people sought to kill Saul, who eventually became Paul. They wanted to take his life. And it was a pearl of great price to Nicodemus. It was a pearl of great price to Saul, who eventually became Paul. And they were willing to give up everything to acquire that hidden treasure, that privilege of being a member of the kingdom of God. And you see, that's why George Beverly Shea used to sing that song in Billy Graham's uh, Crusades, where he said, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything that this world affords today. You see, the kingdom of God is valued, more valuable than anything else. And then lastly, how does it end? How does the kingdom of God wrap itself up? Well, Jesus told us that as well. He said again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach, and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. 
the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus looked at his disciples and he asked a question, Have you understood all these things? And you see, it was important to him that his disciples comprehended the spiritual meaning of these parables. So how does it end? Well, there's a harsh reality. The kingdom of God is like a dragnet <laughs> thrown into the sea that catches all the fish, the good and the bad. And there, the harsh reality is that at the end, there's a judgment. There's a, a separation. And many will not comprehend. That's why Jesus asked his disciples if they understood. Many will be spiritually blind or they will outright reject the kingdom of God for the kingdom of this world. And what will be the consequences if they reject the kingdom of God for the kingdom of this world? Well, verse 49, he told us, it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the consequence of rejecting membership in the kingdom of God. Now, let me ask you, what constitutes righteousness? You see, he was separating the wicked from the righteous. So that begs the question, what constitutes righteousness? Well, in John chapter 5 and verse 24, Jesus said, If any man hears my word and believes him who sent me, he will have eternal life and will not be condemned, but will pass from life to death. What does it take for you and me to have eternal life, to not be condemned, to pass from death to life? Well, Jesus told us you have to not only hear, but believe. Not only hear, but believe. Now, let me give you an allegory here. Suppose you and I are on a desert island. And we've been stranded there for some time. And one day I look at you and I say, I want to tell you a story. When I was in my residence training, I took one year of surgery training. And one day I had a patient who had an awful looking malignant melanoma on their back. And I very carefully surgically removed that malignant melanoma from their back. And my patient did very well. And you look at me and say, well, Doc, that's impressive. I, I'm I'm really impressed by you you doing that, and I I'm telling you I I believe that you could do that. In fact, I believe you could do it again if you had the the tools and the instruments. And then I look at you and I say, Well, look, we've been on this island together for several months, and I've got good news and I've got bad news. And you look at me and you say, Well, what? I say, Well, the bad news is you've got a, a lesion on your back that's just like that patient of mine 40 years ago. And I'm convinced it's a malignant melanoma. But I've got good news. I believe I can surgically remove it. And you look at me and say, how are you going to do that? And I say, well, <clears throat> i got some fermented coconut juice here that will make you sedated. I've got a, a piece of bamboo that you can bite on. <clears throat> and I've got a knife here that I think is adequate to surgically remove it. And, and I've got some pieces of metal we can heat in the fire to, to cauterize the wound so it won't bleed. And then you sit there and you stare at me. And I can see what you're doing. You're thinking. And you're trying to decide, can you trust me? <laughs> so here's the question, listener. Are you going to get on the table? Are you going to let me operate on you? 
It's been 40 years since I took a, a lesion like that off somebody's back. Do you trust me? Will you crawl on the table? Well, let me tell you this. Jesus is the great physician. He's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. And he's performed the spiritual surgery many times. He's competent. He's confident. He's world-renowned. Thousands, no, millions of satisfied patients tell us that he has an impeccable reputation. And what he wants you to trust him to, rem to remove the cancer of sin. Now listen, you don't want your sin cancer treated by herbs from the health food store. You don't want your sin cancer treated by pharmaceuticals from some medical doctor. <clears throat> you don't want your sin cancer <clears throat> treated by a home remedy from your grandmother. What do you want for your sin cancer? You want the blood of Jesus that gives us a righteousness from God. Why? Because that's what it takes to enter the kingdom of God. It takes a righteousness from God, not self a self-made remedy, not self-righteousness. Now listen, when you stand before God, the King of the universe, the righteous judge of the living and the dead from whom, whose face the heavens and the earth flee away, and He says to you, why should I let you into my heaven? Listen, don't babble on and on about your family connections or your Sunday school attendance or the church that you attended or your good character. When God asks you that question, you look Him straight in the eye and you say, Father, I have no merit of my own. I plead the blood of Jesus just as I am without one plea, but that Thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. In the end, there are good fish and bad fish. There are sheep and goats. Either you are a saint or you ain't. The difference is the blood applied to your sin-stained soul. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom. It grows quietly and unobtrusively. It is unstoppable, and its value is worth everything you have. How will it end for you? How it ends is up to you. Choose wisely. You're listening to Devotions with Dr. Papa. I hope that you enjoy it, and if you do, I ask that you will follow, like, or share. I know that it's Christmas time and that many of you are considering Christmas presents, I invite you to visit our bookstore at Jackson Family Ministry. We have four publications there that we think that you will find interesting and a possibility for Christmas presents. Thank you and Merry Christmas to you and your family. Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information about the Jackson Family Ministry, Dr. Jackson's books, or to schedule a speaking engagement, go to their Facebook page, Instagram, or their webpage at jacksonfamilyministry.com. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Production at bobsloan.com.